This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Ryan, that's Matt, that's Zach. Guys, we are wrapping up 2 Timothy this week with our discussion of 2 Timothy 4. And so, again, we started The Forging Table with 1 Timothy which was towards the beginning of Paul's ministry. Then we have 2 Timothy. This is at the very, very end. He knows he's going to die, and this is his last message to his pupil, Timothy, for how he should carry out basically the ministry work that he's been training him for this entire time. And so at the end here, we'll kind of you know, go over our overall thoughts of this letter. But right from the beginning, there are just some... I've been looking forward to this exact moment where we get to finally dig in, especially to the first part of chapter four. So Zach, if you wouldn't mind reading the first two verses and we'll dig in from there. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort and uh, with complete patience and teaching. So the big thing here is I cannot stand apathy. I just can't. Like, so I was talking to someone the other day. Excuse me. And I was like, there's a pretty good hint as to whether or not somebody's serious about a life change that they're going to make or discipline that they're going to develop by the language that they use. So if someone says something like, yes, I'm trying to get into shape. It's like, no, you're not. Well, well, that's that's really judgmental. They said that they're they're trying or they're they're working on it. It's like, well, no, that's not how somebody that's working on it talks about it. Someone who's working on it, the way they talk about it goes, hey, I'm currently in the process. I'm in my first 90 days of this workout and diet program. This is kind of what I'm doing. Or uh, I thought running was going to be my thing, but I've I've started doing rucking instead because it's a little bit easier on my back and my knees. So that's what I'm doing right now for cardio. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly I should do for weight training. That's somebody that's in the process of doing it, right? They're not thinking about thinking about it. Like they're putting the disciplines in place to do it. And so this thing right here It's be ready in season and out of season. The very first thing I thought about is people that used to be in shape that got out of shape. And now they're in the impossible road of trying to get back into shape. That is the hardest thing in the freaking world because you know how you used to be and you're trying to get back there and then you have all these doubts about whether or not you'll actually get back there. The best pathway is to never get out of shape. The easiest way to stay in shape is to never get out of shape. Now, it's difficult because that requires discipline every day. Unfortunately, working out has very diminishing returns almost immediately. You can't work out today and that lasts you for the rest of the week or the rest of the month. Like there's the law of diminishing returns happening here. But the biggest thing here is that there's a lot of work that needs to be done for us to be ready in season and out of season. And I feel like Paul is telling Timothy, hey, buddy, wake up. Like daddy's almost gone. <laughs> like it's going to be on you. And there are going to be times when you're ready and trained for the fight. And then there's going to be times when you're not and the fight's coming anyway. So you got to be ready. So I love that from the beginning here. Yeah, this is kind of a crescendo to this whole letter, right? Like, I mean, he's writing, 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 and then he just like, I charge you in the presence of God. Like 
he's bringing it hard. But I think in season and out of season, like sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not, like you said. But like, I think 400 years later, when it's like culturally permissible and encouraged to be a Christian, probably easy to teach the word, easy to preach the word. But now it's not. And then obviously you could pick wherever in, in the world today. It's easier, it's easier or not to preach the word. So yeah, you've got to be ready um, to get after it. I agree. I look at this letter as a letter of encouragement to Timothy. I mean, he's going through some tough times. He's worried about persecution. And like you said in the last couple of episodes, gird up your loins. It's basically um, what I'm seeing here is like, he's like, I charge you, you know, you know the truth, you know what's right. You know the gospel and you need to go out there and you need to preach it. Nothing should stop you. I mean, this is this is a gift that God has given you. I mean, he's basically telling him to go out and shepherd his flock. Yeah. He's it's, commanding him. It's, he is. Yeah. I mean, just reading it again, kind of to myself here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That's an opening, yeah. right? That is a sobering, this is a serious situation opening. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Re- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Those three things, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and then with complete patience and teaching, those are extremely difficult. But the, but the preamble was talking about how serious that really is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely a message, I think, to somebody who's, who's doing this as a pastor, but it's to all of us. And those, that's difficult. I think just even the words, be ready. And this this isn't just inside the church, but there's a malaise across culture of people that just aren't ready to do anything. Our kids aren't ready to read at grade level. Like our college students aren't ready to launch and to, to get that first job. Our entrepreneurs aren't ready for a downturn. Our government is not ready for an attack on our cyber structure. Like there's just this general sense of not readiness on the stuff that we know is coming. And, and I, I just as I watch culture, as I watch families, as I watch things, it's like you, you knew this was coming. It's one thing for a, a threat to come that you weren't expecting. It's another thing entirely for a threat that was surely going to come. It came and you're like, oh, I just had you treat it like you had no idea. It's like, no, you just didn't feel the need to get ready for it. Like, I just I don't understand the mindset. You took a big deep breath and I everyone took looked a deep at you. Breath yeah. Because I was like, I wanted to go into something else. I think, um, and I was about to respond. I didn't want to respond with and not answer your question. Well, I don't know what to do with that. So I, I guess we'll I just, messed it up. Do, I messed it up. There was all this momentum and then you just killed it. I know I did. I do that a lot. Can you repeat what you just yeah, said? Can Kyle? you repeat that? I'll try to answer it. Just generally, I was talking about the malaise of culture and people in all areas of life, there are things that are going to befall them that they know are threats. So it's like you jump into water with sharks and you're shocked when you get bit. It's like, I would be shocked if I was playing pickleball in, in a landlocked state and I got bit by a shark. Right. So it's like, but people are treating these things happening to them as like, who could have thought this was going to happen? It's like, well, everyone that was paying attention. I mean, nowadays people have lost common sense. I mean, we don't even know what a woman is. So, um, I, it just comes back down to like, where do we find moral truth? Where do we find truth? You know? And if I think we, it's just easy to acquiesce into those things when we, when our truth is the truth, you know, it's like, well, I didn't know why I got bit by a shark. I thought everything was supposed to be okay. If I got in the water with sharks, it's like, no, 
Look back at your past. Look back at what's been written. Look back at this. It's not safe to swim with sharks, you know, um, but people are, don't want to listen. They want to live in their own, in their own truth. I think some I, of that is just from the, that, well, that'll never happen to me. You know, like your son doesn't look both ways before he crosses the street and he, he gets killed by a car. Someone that reads that story three states over might go, man, that's really sad. But yeah, that would never happen to my kid. I think there's a disconnect there. And I think that's, you know, as a culture and just as a people in general, we can sometimes get there. Ah, that wouldn't be me. That's, we can't, we can't, we can't act like that. And Paul's very clear. Like we can't act like that here. Be ready. This is, uh, this is again, coming from Wearsby, who is a preacher talking about this. So I just thought it was interesting. He says, God's speaker must be patient in preaching the word. We will not always see immediate results. We must be patient with those who oppose his preaching. Above all else, we must preach doctrine. We must not simply tell Bible stories, relate interesting illustrations, or read a verse and then forget it. And then lastly, true preaching is the explanation and application of, of Bible doctrine. Anything else is just religious speech making. Mm. So a couple of thoughts would be, I think that it's always important when you're reading the Bible or listening that there should be an application element to what you're reading. And then secondly, the whole patience thing, it just kind of struck me that so much, like think about some of the things that have happened over the last three or four years that have kind of faded into the background that were so important. BLM comes to mind. I get that still kind of here, but it's not like it was when the riots were happening. So if you're that patient person talking with whoever you're talking with and it's consistent through all of those ups and downs, you know, I think this is basically saying that that's what's going to win the day. I I like what they bring up when he says here is reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And I think that's something that we lack today because of the commandment. And um, we don't see a lot of reproving and rebuking. What we're seeing a lot more is exhorting. And we're afraid to reprove or rebuke because it doesn't seem like the nice thing to do. It doesn't seem like the patient thing to do. But there's a way to reprove, reprove and rebuke in a patient pattern. And I think we're lacking that nowadays. And that's why people think it might think it's okay to swim with sharks. Well, let me ask you though, do you think right now as we speak that the rubber band is kind of starting to snap back a little bit in terms of we've pushed really far into the transgender thing to the point of children. And it's kind of my sense as I'm, as I'm seeing things unfold that there's a lot of people starting to push back a lot more than they were maybe a year ago. We're seeing that maybe in regards to children, but look at, you know, Mike Pence a couple of weeks ago or months ago when he said, isn't it the most neighborly thing for you to do is to allow your, your uh, neighbor to have their ch- change. So the, the way I see that, Zach, is to your point, Ryan, like I, I agree. The, when we talk about COVID back in 2020, if this were a disease that was killing toddlers at the rate that it was killing the elderly, we would have shut down every market on the planet. We would have purposely taken ourselves back to the stone age in order to protect our children. But I say this seems terse, but thankfully it was the opposite. It was killing people that were dying at an age after the age that people typically die at. Okay. So given the available options, I think everybody would have picked that type of pan or pandemic. But in this particular aspect, whenever it's like, okay, you want to dress up in women's clothing? Great. Do that at your house. Do that at your parties. Don't come onto my street. And it evolved within a decade from that to, no, we're going to make sure that your kid transitions at school. 
and that they can't tell you. And then certain states are like, by the way, if you're a parent, and this is already happening in Canada, if you're a parent and you are not going along with the gender identity of your child, that your child can be taken away from you. Your rights to that child can be taken away from you. Canada's done it. California's working on it. And so that's the difference is it's the children involved. And so I would like to say that the rubber band is snapping back in culture. It's grabbing its sanity. I think the the left, the people that are pushing these things, these satanic ideologies, they found as far as they can push now. Same thing happened during COVID. Government push, 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 and push. Hey, we get it. We don't want to kill grandma. We don't want to kill all this stuff. And then it got to a point to where it's like, you know what? No, actually, we're we're not going to fill in, you know, skate parks with sand. Like we're we're not going to do that. We're not going to put, you know, uh, we're not going to take the rims off the basketball goals, like those types of things. But that's how far they pushed now. Right now, there's a little bit of a cultural moment where the wave is swinging back in the opposite direction. So I think it's going to cool off for a while. And then the people pushing these ideologies are going to regroup and they're going to push again because it's the normalization. When you get somebody as milquetoast as Mike Pence that basically comes out pro-transgenderism for adults, it's like, sir, how is that fundamentally different than a child other than just flat out legal consent? And that's where you reprove and rebuke. You know, and that's, I'm not talking about, Hey, I need to go and reprove, reprove. I'm just, I'm just use rebuke. I'm not going to go out and rebuke the culture. I'm going to rebuke somebody like Mike Pence, who is supposedly a brother in Christ, who's spewing stupidity. You know, like I could care. Honestly, I could care less what my neighbor does, but I'm not going to affirm an ideology because it's supposed to be Christianly neighborly. You know, I'm like, no, it's not at all. I mean, I just, I think that's where we're losing. That's where we're losing ground. And that's where we're seeing pragmatism rise in the church is because of this milk toast thinking of like, well, you know what? I got to, I got to be somewhat, you know, cool. Neutral, neutral or, or, or it, well, and I think that yeah. really gets into cultural three through five because pastors are giving people exactly what they desire. Oh, so Matt, yeah. if you can read three, four, yeah, and five, sure. please. Yeah, this is where it gets really fun. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You said five, right? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. for you. Always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Just one of my favorite things that Paul ever wrote, but having itchy ears, itching ears. There are other translations that say uh, the desire to have their ears tickled, Mm -hmm. like those types of things. And it's like, I'm sure it's been that way at time in memoriam, but especially right now, and especially in the American church, we want to go into church and we want to have an experience and to leave floating, right? We want the rock concert. We want the chips and the nice coffee and the cookies or whatever. And we want the TED Talk sermon that doesn't make us a Christian or doesn't make us a better Christian. It just makes us better at life, right? And everyone's kind of got their style and got the thing that they, that they want to do. But it's when the pastors start thinking about their flock and whether or not they're going to like what they're saying that I think you're going wrong. Because as a pastor, it should not be about what what does my flock want to say so I can make sure that I say that? It's what does God charge me to say to my people? And then we're just going to let the chips fall where they may. I think that's a great point because we as a church are very driven by 
the consumerist model, right? Where we look at numbers and we measure by people, butts and seats. And when the church went through a decline, you know, you as any other organization or company would do, would take a step back and go, okay, what can we do to fix this? And I was, I watched a documentary on, on worship not too long ago, and I can't remember the guy's name. I have a note on it somewhere, but he said, you know, as a church, we're half right and we're all wrong. Like we should go back the, to the consumer to figure out why there's a decline. But our congregation is not the consumer. The consumer is God. What does God say about worship? What does God say about church? That's the, the old cliche, we serve an audience of one or we perform for an audience of one. It's true. We should be worshiping to the glory of God, not so that we can put butts in seats, but also our itching ears can be the sins that are called out in us that we don't want to let go of. And so we go look for an affirming church. Well, this church says it's okay to do what I'm doing. Homosexuality comes to mind. I'm going to go to a church that says you could be a homosexual and that's okay. I'm going to go where I find like my Jesus. What does Jesus say that I can do? What sin do I want affirmed is the church I'm going to go to. That's, that's the itching ears that I'm looking for. There was this, uh, there's these memes, the Scooby-Doo meme where it's, you know, they're about to take off the mask <laughs> yeah. of the person. Yeah. And before they take the mask off, the quote is I'm deconstructing. Yeah. Yeah. And then once they take the mask off, it says, I just want to sin sexually. Yeah. And so it's like people want to live with their girlfriend and have sex with her. They want to be in a same sex relationship. They want to be in a queer relationship. They want to be in a thruple. And so they're going to find a church that acquiesces to that. And there's no shortage of that, regardless of where you are in the country. And I feel like it's this, this ears tickled concept. It's like, it's like they're, they're wanting their baser instincts to be fulfilled. And if you're desiring to have your baser insects, instincts to be fulfilled at all times, you're going to be a ruinous person because you're never going to eat broccoli. You're always going to eat Doritos because the bait you want, you want that mouth pleasure. You want that basic instinct. Your basic instinct is to rest, not to get after it, not to exercise. Your baser instinct is to treat your wife however you feel like treating her as opposed to how a patient, loving husband would treat her. That goes to children, that goes to bosses, yeah. that goes to everybody. And I just feel like we're catering to people and our entire culture is catering to making things easier. And so if your entire life is bubble wrapped, like you don't even have to leave your house to get the products that you want. Uh, you, you're never wearing clothing that is restricting you anymore. Like you've got pairs of shoes, depending upon the type of exercising you're going to do. Like there, there's all kinds of stuff like that. And so when we go to church, what do we want that to be? Easy button. Yep. We want easy church. We just want to be, you know, we want the church to tell us how good we are. And there, there's no desire for depravity. There's no desire for reproof or rebuke or anything. And the church has given it to us. They're giving yeah. us by the handful. There needs to be conviction. It's, it's a it's a Burger King society. Have it your way. I can go find it my way, wherever that is, and I can play God, and I can make a God in my own image, and go go um, hundreds of places to get that. There's no shortage of of customization that we can have, even in inside the church. I think so. we need to recognize, though, because I think we can spend a lot of time on that side of the fence, right? I, I do believe that there are a lot of people and churches and organizations that are pushing back as a result of the type of message that you're talking about there for the last several years. I mean, I can tell you in my circles and various places, I'm seeing people that are waking up that definitely weren't before, especially because of kids and schooling and things like that. 
Um, I think certain policies that, uh, you know, government or, or investment groups or whatever have put on companies, for instance, are starting to be repealed back if you look at ESG and there's nothing wrong with that. But anything that's not um, aligned with the best interest of the organization that it's you know purported to be working with is a difficult thing. And, and I think people are waking up to that also. And there's lots of preachers, I think, in churches who are coming out and, and staying, standing against some of this false teaching and their churches are exploding. So I think anytime we're talking about this, it's important for us to recognize that there are some changes yeah. and then also to say, what are we doing about it yeah. personally? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, what can I do at home? What can I do at church? Maybe we have some examples there. When I want to encourage pastors that are listening to this, that are on the fence, cause I've, I've had some discussions with some folks and you know, <clears throat> some of them are worried about being too political from the pulpit, which I understand, but you know, even as far as it goes to like saying, Hey, this is the type of candidate we'll vote for. I brought this up quite a few times on the podcast, but last midterm, our, our lead pastor said, Hey, remember on Tuesday, vote biblical values. And it's like, that means nothing. That doesn't mean anything to most people. That, that means fill in the blank by what you mean political values are. And again, as I've said before, I don't think it would have been appropriate for him to pull up a sample ballot and say, here's who I plan to vote for. And by the way, remember, Jesus told me this. Like, you know, there are places where that becomes inappropriate. But for a lot of pastors, they're still trying to split the baby. They're still trying to be seeker sensitive. They're still trying to be nice. They're still trying to be liked. While at the same time, try to maybe like urge or just tilt towards the direction of godliness, as opposed to just saying, no, the answer to this is no, we're not going to allow this for our children. Our con- our congregation is not going along with that. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the governing body of the SBC says, or I don't care what any of that says. We're not doing that here. And guess, and dude, like if this isn't for you and this, if this offends you to the point that you feel like you need to leave, it's not, Hey, don't let the door kick your, you know, hit you on the way out. It's just, Hey, it is what it is. You're going to go somewhere else. And, and I, I don't like that as much because we were in a church that I totally disagreed with the pastor on a lot of things. And rather than him being like, well, let me see where those disagreements are and let's discuss it scripturally. It was, yeah, maybe this isn't the place for you, you know, because he wants people that have itching ears. They're going to listen to him and he can mold in their in his deviant ways, you know? Um, but I think like if it's something like that, like our true shepherd's going to sit down with his flock and be like, all right, you think I'm wrong in this area? please let's sit down and discuss it. You know, um, I just, I just see us not only in like within churches, but in the evangelical elites that we're platforming individuals who are tearing down God's design of everything, you know, God's design for marriage, God's design for gender. I mean, we've got, you know, the patriarchy is a real big thing right now. It's Kristen Koba's Demay's whole book on how bad the patriarchy is, you know, and she's taking God's design and she's bastardizing. You know, that's it. like a cuss word to me. Right? I know because <laughs> I know. for anyone not, don't lose your train of thought here, but right. for anyone that lost the thread here, like two years ago, Justin Briarly reached out to me to see if I would do a debate with Kristen Kobez Dumay about her book, Jesus and John Wayne. And I had to read that bucket of diarrhea filth and get ready for this debate. And then lo and behold, Justin releases an interview with her. And I emailed Justin. I'm like, wait a tick. Like we were supposed to have a debate and you just did an interview. This isn't an interview show. This is a debate show. What in the world happened? And he goes, yeah, she refused to debate you. She just, uh, she just didn't want to do that. She just wanted to be, she just wanted to be interviewed. And it's like, that's indicative of a worldview that someone like her has. They don't want their ideas challenged. They want to be validated and said how smart, smart what they are. They example. never want to debate. What an example, right? Of getting yeah. a deplatforming like we talked about. Yeah. Well, 
I so mean, maybe you should bring him on, right? Well, I think uh, if they it's come Justin Brierley's thing. It's Justin Brierley. Well, I think to but, I think, but I can't finish okay, my train yeah, of thought. Yeah, sure, sure. So, but like people in in the evangelical elite are platforming this, one. and she's taking God's design and she's she's mucking it up. You know, she's taking a few bad apples or a couple of bad instances and saying that this design doesn't work. You know, and it's like. This is God. I mean, we, his design does work. What's the problem is man and sin. That's the problem. You know, so if you want to come and discuss how men should be better fathers and better pastors and better overseers and, and better husbands, by all means, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But don't come down and say, hey, because we have more men in power and all this stuff, this is why we're running into the issues that we're running into. And then we have our elites, the people that we're supposed to look at, and they're platforming this type of person. They're platforming a lot of people like this lately, and it's getting pretty bad. If we believe what the Bible says, anything at face value that's really popular, we should look at that with some cynicism and stop and think, why is that popular? It's probably because the world like has bought into it. And if we believe the Bible, we know that the things that are popular are probably, maybe not probably, but there's a good chance they're not biblical. And I should probably check that out a little bit before I just throw my hat in and go, go jump straight for it. But then when you, when you believe the idea that it must be God, if the numbers say that it is, and butts and seats is what is what your measuring stick is. And because I got 30,000 people to come to my conference, that must mean that God's at work. Like, that's a really dangerous place to be. I've, he- I've heard that a lot. I've, I've had people throw that. Well, you know, God's sure. blessing that church. Yeah. Look how many people are going yeah. there. Well, look at verse 13 yeah. of chapter 3, where it was, you know, going back to there. Um, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, the MacArthur commentary was like, look, these ministries are going to get bigger. And so, but again, I'm that way. I will look at these churches and it's like, is it maybe Joel Osteen's doing it right? That stadium is full every week. Like these people are convinced that this is the way to, to do this whole Christian thing. And then it's like, so you're telling me that guy who only has like a thousand followers on Twitter is a better pastor? No way. He's not an influencer. Like we are taking the currency of culture and we're applying it to, to yep. biblical doctrine, to mm-hmm. sizes of churches. And I say this to say, there's nothing wrong with big churches either. Nope. Right. Like no. there are big churches that are enormous and they are healthy, right? From pillar to post. Doubled after COVID. It I did. mean, we started going there during COVID because we just moved back to Oklahoma. And I looked at multiple churches. I was, I went Presbyterian for three months. Couldn't get over infant baptism, but I wanted to stay in it. But when we started going to um, our church and it was like, there wasn't a lot of people. And then after COVID, I really think that there's a big jump in expository preaching. I mean, people are really wanting that within their church. They're tired of this topical Ted talk stuff, because when you go and you look at the gospel and you, you look at the Bible, it's not all about you. It's about God. It's about Christ. And it's about why we need him. Right. And, and if I'm such a good person and I do all the good things that you tell me I do, why do I need Christ? You don't. Well, and, and don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying that if you're not under expository preaching that you're doing it incorrectly, there's nothing wrong with topical series and all those things. And there are things that are applicable. But I think the point that we're all making is when that's all you're getting mm-hmm. is milk, baby's milk week after week after week. Like I talked about my experience going to life church for over 10 years. And it's like, 
every couple of years, it's the same sermon series, just kind of cycled. There's a series about money. There's a series about prayer. There's a series about relationships. There's a series about sex and we're going to get real transgressive. And then once every 10 years, there's a series about manhood and it's just the same thing over and over. And it's like, you know, that's fine, but there's too many people that have been there for too long. It's like that you're not, you're not growing in sanctification week after week. You're not growing in your understanding of the Bible and you're not growing in your understanding about how this doesn't apply to you. One of the things that I try to do, and maybe this is wrong, but some, when I read scripture, sometimes I'm trying to remind myself, this isn't about you. All right. Chapter four. And then I'm, I'm reading chapter four, like this, this can apply to me, but it's not about me. And I feel like most churches, most worship songs that are sung, it's all about how Jesus feels about me and how everything applies to me and my life and my business and my slay queen and my, this, it's like, no, no, no. Like it's different. You bring up the goddess for you. It's like, why can't we be for God? You know, yeah. like when, when has anybody of us concept. gone there and been for God at this church? Oh, I'm going to go to a church where God it's, is for me. It's not untrue that God is for us though. Right. That's like, the right. truth. But, but th- that, that truth that people say God is for you in the half truth, God is so for us that he gave us his son to die for our sins on a cross. That is true. God is for you to repent and believe. But, yes. But we, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can very easily slip into, well, God is for you. And that means whatever you're doing now that those people said is not okay is actually okay. Cause God is for you. And right. that's how, where, how long have you been at your church that you're at now? We've been at, we've been at our church since 2015. And did you, you were at somewhere previously to that or we were at life church okay. for a long, long time. And you know, for us, it was kind of similar to Kyle. It was just like, okay, this kind of seems like the same thing every week. And I'm not going to try to sit here and bash on a church. It just, for us, we didn't feel like we were getting biblical truth. And I know a lot of people who can get a lot of things out of that church. For us, it was time to go. We felt like we were being called somewhere else. And I think, though, we also weren't in the Word. Yeah. And even at crossings where we go now, we weren't, we weren't intentionally in the Word. And even going to crossings, it was kind of like oh, some of our friends went here. The church service was pretty good. Like it did, it did have, like they went through a book of the Bible and it was like, okay, this is just kind of what we want. But then once you open up the word, you go, man, I can't believe I ever believed that. Or I can't believe I thought that was a good thing to think is okay. So, yeah, it seems like most of us have come from some other experience that same kind of surface level. And we've arrived at a church where you feel like you're getting the word. Mm-hmm. Right. So that'd be a big takeaway for me, for anybody that's listening is that's at least been our progression. And I know for me, that's been, that's paid dividends. Um, and to your point, I mean, I went up to our pastor as an example and our church has gotten bigger and he's a busy person, you know, as a professor and all that stuff. And he scheduled the meeting and we met, you know, it took a couple of weeks, but met with them, sat down, talked through several things. And, and he worked through that with me. And so I think the way that this is meant is not necessarily to be paying attention to people that have these massive platforms, but to be engaged in your community with the people that are around you. That's where, that's where this is done. When I think, I think there's a level of insulation that attaches directly to a level of health of the church. So Ryan, you've said it before and, and I've said it, the CEO church where there's not an elder board, there's a board of directors and the senior pastor is also the uh, director, uh, you know, the leader of the, the board. Say. Yeah. The final say on everything. They got two votes at the final table kind of a thing, but there are churches that are enormous where after the service is over, the lead pastor is down front along with the elders, along with the other staff, because, you know, if there's a 
you know, if you're in between services and there's another service needs to be done, there's 74 people that want to talk to the senior pastor, that's a problem. Also, if you have 74 people in line to see the senior pastor and 15 of them just want to do that so they can get a selfie, well, there's potentially some some very ne- fairly nefarious things that want to happen here because a lot of people got selfies with Carl Lentz, but they didn't get any discipleship. And so that that's indicative of a problem as well. But when you have these big churches and the pastor is whisked away from the building, you know, they go through this tunnel to go through a uh, security checkpoint to get taken away. Some of that is security. Some of that is so they don't have to be a pastor. Yeah. They, they go up there, they do their, their, their preacher thing. They're not holding hands of elderly women while their husband's dying in the hospital. They're, they're not showing up to pray over the kid that's got leukemia. That's not just, that's just not what they do. They're just teaching. And it's like, they've, they've lost the thread somewhere to where it's like, that's part of your job. That's not your entire job. Now there are churches that do that correctly. Again, we talk about Joby Martin quite a bit because he's, he's a great example of a lot of these things. He's, he is admittedly the worst like person in the world when it comes to counseling for marriages because he's way too blunt. And there's all this pain and all these things that need to be unpacked from their past that they brought in their relationship. He just wants to say, all right, this is what you need to do to fix it. This is what you need to do to fix it. All right, y'all don't need to see me anymore. And so when people come up to him and they're like, hey, I need help, he'll ask them, do you need me or do you need help? Because I'm likely not the person to help you. But if you want me, we'll figure something else out. But it's like, if you want help, I can get you help. I think that goes a long way for a pastor because we had the same predicament at a church that we went to. Uh, we had a, a group that had like two people going through, two couples going through a divorce. And I remember my leader, the leader of the group kind of reached out to me. He's like, man, I've reached out to him, our pastor. And he's basically told me, yeah, that's not my thing. And left it at that. That was it. And like, and if you go onto this church's website, they're all about marriages, building up marriages. You know, I'm like, how's he going to just leave it at that? Why doesn't he get you in touch with people who can handle it? He's right. like, he told me to go figure that out. You know, it's like, that's not shepherding your flock. And he's a CEO pastor. You know what he's busy doing? Sitting on Twitter or something like that, trying to get more people to show up to his church. You know, it's just like, we got to get back to the shepherding. I think we need to move away from this leadership comp, like this leadership thing that they're doing. You're seeing a lot of it now. The leadership guru. Yeah, the leadership yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, all right, you know what a true leader is? A servant leader. And a lot of you guys getting up here talking to me about leadership aren't servant leaders. You know, you should be shepherding your flock. Yeah. And I remember, I remember probably with the first time I realized how pervasive this was. So since we've already talked about life church, so Craig Rochelle went to a, a leaders conference, which I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. You want to speak at leaders conference? That's great. Get, get paid. And I'm fine with all that. He was not introduced as a senior pastor of life church. He was introduced as like the a CEO or like a leadership title. I was like, okay, like that, that's not, that's not your job title. Like, I understand you're a leadership person and just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you don't have things that you could teach about leadership, but it's like, that is, you're not going to be having to give an account someday for how you taught people leadership. Like you're going to have to give an account before God for how you've shepherded his flock. And so again, it's kind of the focus is, is like, are we focusing on clicks? Are we focusing on book sales? Are we focusing on impact on individual lives? Like it, it really has a lot to do with, with the direction that you're going. Go ahead, Matt. It all comes back to how do we define success? And if it's in, if it's the spreadsheets, if it's the measurables, the butts in the seats, we can do a lot of pragmatic things that get us there. Well, let's define success by the word. It's a lot different. Let's define success as you read verses six, seven, and eight. Nice segue. Where I am, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a metric that we should be able to measure ourselves by. Um, Again, just as a reminder for those that maybe missed when we talked about at the beginning, this was written, this letter was written to Timothy after 30 years plus of ministry. After being near death multiple times, shipwrecked, stoned, snake bit, the whole nine. And here he is in a Roman prison knowing he's not going to leave alive. And he is able to say that? Like, that's convicting to me because it's like he's essentially on his deathbed. So think about that person in your family had cancer, became stage four. Hey, we got about six weeks to live here. And you're doing your final mortal thoughts, right? It's a rough place to be, really, really rough place to be. But if you, if you get to that point and you can say something with no hint of irony, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And you know that because of that, there is a crown of righteousness waiting for you on the other side. And he can say that because he knows he's kept the faith of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He knows that that crown of righteousness is Christ. And I think it's, I mean, like, yeah, we can all fight the good fight. We can all sit here and talk about you know, preaching the right gospel. And, but how do we finish the race? Are we even preaching that gospel to our neighbors, to our friends? You know, I know I fall short of that a lot. And so it's a sobering thing to look at, you know, have I finished the race the way God wants me to finish this race? Now I know I've kept the faith, but is that faith, you know, the faith's going to be enough for me to be under his righteousness. But man, when I'm, when I'm standing before God, like, do I want to be able to say what Paul has said? Of course I do. Can I? Probably not. Kind of reminds me of, uh, Tim Keller, because he did this the stage four and uh, lots of things that he talked about and brought forth as a result of that. And one thing he talked about, same thing as um, um, Billy Graham and others, they'll say, what was the one thing about life that caught you off guard or that was surprising? And, And they'll say the brevity of life. So I think as you come back to this and you think about what he's doing with Timothy, he's really charging him with the deposit that he's had. Going back to the first, you know, sentence of in the presence of God in Christ Jesus to take the time that you have left, think about it every day, and make sure that, that you're, you're running the race the way that it's supposed to be run. And you know what I don't get a sense from here? And again, I'm reading something into the text that is not there, so I'll be careful. But we're not getting the slightest hint of regret here from Paul, which I wouldn't be so bold as to say he had none. I mean, to get to the end of your life, I'm sure you're going to have some regrets. Sometimes when you zigged, when you know you should have zagged. But you hear, I forget, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I remember um, this guy wrote a book where he interviewed a bunch of hospice nurses. And, you know, these nurses were literally talking to people in the last weeks, days, hours, and minutes of their lives and having these deep conversations. And it's exactly what you would expect. None of them said, man, we got on the Fortune 500 list, but it would have been amazing if I could got our company to Fortune 100. Yeah, you know, I went, I went single platinum, but it would have been really cool to go double platinum. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I got that regional sales position, but I wasn't regional sales manager of the year because I took a few vacations and I took a little bit of a, a break because my kids got sick. And you never hear people say that. It was either I regret letting my kids be raised by my spouse while I was out trying to slay the dragon or man, I'm so glad that I didn't spend so much time focusing on the dragon and uh, stayed at home. It's stuff like that. 
And we've heard that our entire lives, guys. We know that. But then what do we do? We, we leave for another business trip. We book another speaking gig. We, we take another job that's going to take us away from the family a little bit more. We say, no, I can't coach my kid's team. Like it's, it's just not in the cards. It's not in the schedule. And we keep putting the things that aren't important. And everything I just described, I basically couched in terms of family. And the way that this came up really early in my ministry, I had a guy that was, you know, talking about how, how busy his family was. And he was saying that to give me an excuse of, well, this is why I don't study the Bible that much. And this is why I'm not catechizing my children. And this is why, you know, I can't do this. And this is why I can't work out. And this is why I can't eat right. It was all his schedule. And then he described his schedule to me. And it was three kids in year round sports. And I said, have y'all ever considered taking a season off? He's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, and it was sometime in the spring. And I was like, hey, how about this fall? Kids don't play sports. They can play winter sports. They can play spring ball. They can play summer ball next year. But hey, for three months, four months, our, our family's not doing any activities. Like we're doing family stuff. We're doing church stuff. Like all the activities are going to have to do with us being a part of our home. Right. And I feel like whenever you do stuff like that, you're almost practicing what it is to prioritize God in the things of, uh, of this world. And so I don't know how you guys kind of feel about that, but when I look at something like that, I look at that as a challenge that if I'm 85 and I'm on my deathbed and something like that, I want to be able to have this level of confidence that I have finished the race. I have kept the faith and I kept the right things, the right things. I think that's good. I think that's difficult because there's not a sense of urgency because we feel like tomorrow is promised. And I think one thing the early church really did well was the urgency they had. Christ was coming back pretty quick. And they did not want to get caught with their pants down. Like, I'm, I got to preach the gospel because who knows? Who knows when he's coming back? This is of the utmost importance and is urgent. And now 2,000 years later, it's kind of like, ah, all right, hadn't happened yet. Like, what's another day going to hurt? You know what I mean? Like, we, the further away from that event we are, the less urgency there is. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, but of, not for your life. Sure. Right. No, I'm just saying, like, that's, I think I that's agree. an attitude. I agree 100%. Sure. But, I mean, having that conversation with people, I always just go back to, but not for your right. life right now. Yeah I, yeah, I agree. Regardless of when he comes back. Yeah. I think that's part of it, though, is that attitude. We've kind of done the same thing that you've talked about. Like, mm-hmm. our kids are in sports, dance, gymnastics, but we take a time. Or they'll take time off and we'll have like maybe, maybe the fall. And that's where we just spend time as a family. You know, I think, I think it's, you bring up a lot of things, you know, my dad, love him dearly. Great man. Um, he traveled a lot. He had five kids. He had a support. Um, and we lived a very good life and he was gone a lot. I didn't see my dad. And if I did see him, he was gone on the weekends cause he spoke at churches. Um, but when he was home during the weekdays, I didn't really see him cause sometimes he was gone in the evening or I was at school. And so one of the things that I, I've kind of wanted to do is just, I want to be there for my kids. I don't want to miss those things. And my, my job has me travel, but I try to be there as much as I possibly can. Not because my dad wasn't there. It's just because I remember that as a kid, you know? And so like, I think that's what we have to remember in, in life itself is that we just need to be present. And when we're present in that moment with either our kids or our friends or that stranger, are we showing that light? Are we, are we talking truth in the gospel? And I think that's just something that, you know, 
we should think about, you know, um, acts is one thing that I wanted to bring up about Paul. And when he, on uh, chapter 20, verse 26, I declared today that I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. And the guy was pretty, I don't think he had any regrets. I, I could be reading into that too, but I mean, when he's talking, he doesn't have any regrets on what he did. He probably had regrets on the things he did in the past to other Christians, you know, but I think in the end he fulfilled his task. So, yeah, I was just going to say the great Keanu Reeves once said half a life is showing up. Yeah. So <laughs> philosopher yeah. uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, he also said, Whoa, whoa, uh, which yeah, also excellent to each other. Yeah. So as, as we wrap up second Timothy, <clears throat> I just want to get your guys overall thoughts on what we've read and kind of what you've learned during this study. I, I would, I would say urgency, the urgency of preaching the gospel to ourselves, to our family and rightly Uh, get like accurately preaching the word and, and handling the word correctly. And when, when Paul talks about scripture throughout this letter, like the canon of the new Testament hadn't been established. It was being written, but like he's telling Timothy to use the old Testament scriptures to to rebuke and reprove and to teach. And so you knew a false doctrine if you knew the word. If you don't know the word, you can't know some of the, you don't know what tickling or itching ears sounds like or looks like because you're not in the word. That's, I think that's a big thing that I always get out of this is like, get, read your Bible. You got to know it. What about you guys? I, uh, I, I'm encouraged by this letter. Um, I think he's providing a lot of encouragement to Timothy. I think it's encouragement in our time um, of how we need to be accurate with the gospel, to be unashamed of it. Um, I also found uh, it convicting in how we should be patient with others and in talking to them. I'm a very brash person. Um, we were talking about elders today at church, and Rachel was like, you know, Oh, it would, did you, do they mean to do elders today? And I was like, I don't think so. But, you know, she, she was like, you know, is it something everybody's on that path? And I was like, I'm not, I'm too brash. You know, I'm, I, I need to be able to not be quarrelsome and be patient with how people uh, are trying to come to the faith. And um, that's something that I found convicting. So I found that convicting. I was encouraged by uh, what Paul was saying to Timothy um, and just being there, um, being present and preaching the right gospel and shepherding his flock and just giving him the encouragement for that. And then also encouraged to don't be afraid to rebuke or reprove false teachers. I would say, you know, don't sit here and just discuss false teachers all the time. But, you know, if, if you have a friend who's reading something by somebody, ask them questions, ask why they're reading that, and then let them know about certain things that that person's talked about, you know, saying, hey, I don't want you to read that book, you know, or go ahead and read that book. But just remember that this person has said this and done this in the past. Like, I think we did it back and forth. Uh, uh, over this second Timothy thing with Tim yeah. Mackey. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, Hey, that's Bible project's good. Don't listen to anything else Tim Mackey has to say. You know? <laughs> so, but I mean, then, and that's the thing is like, we just got to have discernment. I think discernment's the big thing that I kind of grew in, grew in the last three years after leaving the church that we left. And it's just, I'm encouraged by just telling people just have discernment and the Holy spirit's going to speak to you. You're going to know if you're in the right place or the wrong. 
hurts. And you know you're in the right place when you feel some conviction and yeah. that, that you need to change. I think this last part of it is really interesting. I, I made this comment off air, but the little things that he adds, like, please bring me my cloak so I don't freeze to death in prison. It's so just black and white. I listened to something this week and it was an expert in letters from Oxford, like written letters from antiquity. I didn't know this. He said that most letters, almost all letters were essentially one page, whatever could fit on that piece of parchment. But Paul's letters were multiple pages, which was kind of unheard of. And they were kind of this one to all, one to congregation kind of a letter, which also was not very common. Most of them were just one-on-one. So I think it just continues to talk about the authenticity of these letters, which points to what Paul is in prison dying for on a personal level. And while he's doing that, he's encouraging you to, to pass it along, but to do so in a way that's loving and true. I would say for me, I'm glad we did First Timothy, and then we went around, did some other stuff, and then we came back to Second Timothy, because you're almost getting a master class in the different stages of ministry, when that is your entire life. Paul wasn't married, like he was married to his mission, right? And he was called to that, right? So singles out there, don't, don't get me wrong and hear what I'm not saying. But the difference in attitude of the first letter to Timothy to the last letter. There are good ideas for how to lead yourself, but also good ideas for how to lead other people. There's good ideas for wisdom that should direct your steps and the wisdom you should share with others in order to help them direct their steps. But also, we can assume that Timothy wasn't made of the same stuff as Paul because there were things that Paul did that were just natural to him that he had to like, basically scream at Timothy do this. Like you're getting a little lazy. You're, you're not as forceful as you need to be like gird your loins. It's go time. And so you almost get this sense. I'm reading something into the text here, but you're getting the sense that Paul and Timothy were not wired the same, but they had the same mission. And so Paul had to learn to how to be a good manager. And, you know, Timothy had to learn how to be a good mentee and to accept something from somebody that's wired to do something differently. I remember back in the day, uh, Ted Williams, uh, seen as one of the best, he's certainly top 10 best baseball players ever. He um, was a natural hitter, but he had some weird stuff that went on with his eyesight. Like he could like see this, the individual stitches on the baseball as it was coming towards him at, you know, that, that day between, you know, 80, 95 miles an hour. And the problem was, is he was the worst hitting coach maybe in existence because he was such a good natural hitter. He was built to hit baseballs. That's what Ted Williams was on this planet to do. And when he tried to teach other people to do it, imagine him saying, yeah, just, uh, you know, slow the ball down with your vision. And then just when it's in the perfect spot, just like hit it, like hit that spherical ball with that round bat squarely, just do that. He couldn't do it. And so I get the sense that Paul and Timothy, while on the same mission, they, they had some differences that they had to get over, but the level of, you know, intimacy between these two because their mission was so important was so big but then the level of desperation but also confidence that timothy has as he's pinning a letter after he's been basically um you know abandoned by all of his supporters and knowing that death is on his on the doorstep and to be able to say i have finished the race i have kept the faith you know i fought the good fight it's just an incredible thing for us but i would say too i would echo what matt said it's like you have to be in the word. Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing because culturally, 
people can say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. But how many people do you hear? How many times do you hear him say, I have something, I have fought the good fight. Like without even knowing that comes from scripture, you'll hear atheists say, yeah, Hey, you know, iron sharpens iron. It's like, we, we get that from somewhere. That's not wisdom from the universe. That's wisdom from a particular book that yeah. you say is only full of lies made up by the spaghetti monster. No, there's, in the lots, sky. there's lots of those, the writings on the wall. Right. Yeah. Perfect example, yeah. There's all kinds. And so for us, it's going to be impossible to use the scripture for direction or reproof or rebuke or any of those things if you're not actually in it yourself. And part of the uh, Reformation was so that the scripture could get into our hands so that somebody's not reading the Bible for us. And if you're letting your pastor read the Bible for you, you're taking away the opportunity to potentially rebuke him and, and point him in a better direction and to get a deeper level of understanding from their teaching. So that's what I got out of this. But guys, there's more that could be said about Second Timothy, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and leave it there. But guys, come back here next week where we're going to be digging into Proverbs 1. So we're going to be hitting a few Proverbs before we move on to some other stuff as we get on into our year. So guys, come back here next week having read Proverbs 1. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Add an undaunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only link I've got for you is our donation link. Guys, if you want to see more content like the forging table, become a donor. Go to the link in the bio. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah